0: in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That announcement made by the angels so long ago to the shepherds is still true today. It is our source of strength and a great source of joy as we gather in this place to celebrate. It is a great sense of joy as we celebrate this Christmas season, and it still has the power to change lives. And that is why we gather every single week, because we worship a risen Savior, and we have reason to celebrate. So as we gather in this place today, we're so glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we would encourage you to stop by our guest table located in the lobby. You'll see a welcome sign out there, and you can grab a guest bag. It has some more information about our church, but we would love to have a record of your visit as well. You can fill out the care card in your bulletin, or you can fill out a guest card there. But right now, we're going to ask everyone to stand and just take a second to wave at your neighbors, greet them, welcome them to the service, and prepare your hearts for worship.
1: praise, isn't he? I want to share an update with our Christmas in Tville. We want to take an offering. If you give in the offering today, we should be fine. Uh, things are looking good. Uh, we'll be able to buy as much Christmas for kids this year for half the price. That's amazing. Those lady has done, a, Kathy and her sister have done a great job, Kelly, in doing that. So just, just give them a hand. Would you do that? Just thank them for that. Uh, last year, Last year, they, they, they spent $25,000, the church did, just buying for them. And this year, it's about 12500 And we want to thank you for your hard work and commitment in allowing children and families to have a Christmas that would not. Uh, another thing in, in your bulletin, if you'll remember to pray for Randy and Debbie Smith, they're up in Astoria, New York, and they, they serve as our missionaries there. And we were supposed to be up there this week with them, and they're serving in different parts of the city in Astoria. And they work for one ministry there. It's a homeless shelter for for men, and Randy does that. And and then Debbie works with women, uh, different uh, sets of women throughout the city. I want you to be in prayer for them. It's been a great challenge for them being there in the city. Uh, You pray for them as they continue their work there. This morning, the scripture says in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I've seen that in the life of Randy and Debbie throughout their ministry from the time that he was saved here at East Taliesville. They have sought God's kingdom first. But God, you know, that's challenged not only to them, but it's to us that we are to seek him first and his righteousness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and to seek him this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for loving us first. Thank you, Lord, that we can seek you and Lord, you live within us and you walk in us and father you go before us and you you order our steps and we're so grateful that you're our savior and father this morning we pray for these ministries that are ongoing for the children this year and uh, lord as we reach out to communities and father we pray for that we pray for the smiths and you work as they they're serving you faithfully they've given up everything to follow you and father we pray for randy and Debbie. you just meet all their needs and uh, we just pray you continually bless them and father as they reach out to Astoria, and, Father, the people of New York City. And, Father, this morning we want to thank you, Lord, as this season comes up. We celebrate the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We thank you for coming. We thank you for being our Savior, our Lord, and giving us eternal life. We pray you'd bless this service. We pray you'd anoint it. And, Father, may you have the preeminence here through your power and through your Holy Spirit. And, Father, we love you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Amen. Was that not a blessing? Has the music not been a blessing this morning? Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to talk about a very exciting section of Scripture where it lists a bunch of names. Let me ask you this question as you're trying to find Matthew chapter 1. How many of you know your grandparents' names? Raise your hand. All right, keep them up. How many of you know your great-grandparents' names? Great-great-grandparents' names. Ah, just a few great-great-great-grandparents' names. Okay, great, 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 great parents' names. So just go ahead and put them down, Kathy. You're showing off. No, just think Think about this. Do you really know your family tree? I mean, do you, imagine if you could trace it all the way back, all the way back. I, imagine what would be in your family. Think about it. All the different types of people, the different things they did. We have the blessing of knowing the family tree of Jesus, and it's very important. If the family tree of Jesus is wrong, he's not the son of God. As a matter of fact, a a Jewish person who is being intelligent about their faith will argue all day, if they don't want to believe in Jesus about the resurrection, they will not argue one minute about this genealogy because it's accurate. Our faith is built on a historical fact. It is not blind faith. Like, Like if you believe in Peter Pan, Jesus is a real person who really lived. He has a real family tree. He died on a real cross. He rose... From the dead. Uh, It is a historical fact this morning. So this genealogy should encourage you. Now I want you to stand with me as we try to pronounce these names. If I get a name wrong, just just shout it out. Because you probably know it. Alright? Isn't it amazing? Look at this little sheet of paper right here. Separates the Old and New Testament. You know what would be good? I'm not going to rip it out. It don't belong there. Because the Jesus of the Old Testament... Matthew starts this link between the Old Testament and the New Testament to show the Jews that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Isn't it amazing how he links the Old Testament and the New Testament, proving that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Notice verse 1. The book of the genealogy, the first name in the New Testament is Jesus. The last name in the New Testament, Revelation 22:21, 21, is Jesus all of the New Testament is about Jesus. You're gonna read a lot of names. We're gonna read a lot of names here today. We're gonna look at about four of them just real quickly, okay? The star of the Old and New Testament is Jesus. And it's like Matthew wants the world to know right off the bat. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. Now notice what he says. Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Four titles that are so very important. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, Ram begot Amminadab, Amminadab begot Nation, Nation begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, notice verse 1 again, the son of David, that is so very important. David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begat Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. Joram begot Uzzah. Uzzah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. We're going to look at his name here in just a moment. Manasseh begot Ammon. Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. So right here you've had two different sets of 14 names. Okay? You have Abraham to David, David to the um, deportation to Babylon. Daniel's time. Then verse 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shiltiel. Shiltiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud. Abiud begot Eliakim. Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok. Zadok begot Achan. Achan begot Iliad. Iliad begot Eleazar. Eleazar begot Mathan. Mathan begot Jacob. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, from whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. So all the generations, from Abraham to David, are fourteen generations. From David until the captivity of Babylon are fourteen generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are fourteen generations. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you that our faith, our faith is built on historical facts. Father, we do not have a blind faith. We do not worship superstition. Father, we place our faith on a real person who really lived, who really died, who really rose from the dead. And Father, we thank you for that. So, Father, as we come into this Christmas season, We start where Matthew started, with the family tree of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for recording this and allowing us to see it. Lord, it should encourage us, Father, to know that your grace is sufficient for our salvation. And, Father, I pray that you be honored and glorified because of all that's said and done today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's amazing how John starts his gospel, Luke starts his, Mark starts his, then when you get to Matthew you find a list of names. Because Matthew is primarily writing to the Jews. He is trying to show the Jews that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The Jews understood the lineage that would produce the Messiah. Notice on the screen, if you will, this picture. This is actually from... Now, Matthew goes from Abraham to Jesus. Luke goes from Jesus all the way back to Adam. Okay? So, it's amazing. How many genealogies do we know all the way back to the beginning of time? We know one. Jesus. This indisputable, you can't argue with it, it's just a historical fact. It is what it is, okay? So here you have it. It's so simple that that you can find this out and know that this is a genealogy of Jesus. Now, what Matthew does, because he's trying to prove a point, he starts with Abraham and goes 14 generations to David, David 14 generations to Babylon, from Babylon to Joseph, okay, in the birth of Christ. And in this, Matthew takes the liberty to over to really skip a generation or two, to make it 14, 14, 14. Because I'm going to talk about Joash here in a minute. Joash isn't even listed. But he is in the family tree of Jesus. Okay? That's Matthew's discretion. Why? Because he's trying to prove, he's trying to prove to the Jews that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And you got to understand this. This is done to show the height, the depth, and unconditional grace, love, and sovereignty God placed on His glory, and your salvation to send Jesus through this family tree and as we'll see here Jesus' family tree has a lot of knots in it there's some very immoral, ungodly satanic, blasphemous people in Jesus' family tree it's amazing. So it also goes to show us that God reaches out, Stephen Lawson said this, this is not a genealogy of social elites this is not a genealogy of all winsome and pure people Part of it is many of the people he says are filthy, immoral, despicable, the bottom and base of humanity, and they would birth the Messiah. It also shows that God's sovereign hand in even the tiniest details of life just the fact that Joash was left alive, it's an amazing story. And he had to be left alive for Jesus to be born. It also shows the grace of God that God gathers and receives sinners. It is the most famous family tree in existence researched and studied for centuries, and it happens to be located on the front page of your New Testament. It has been inspected more than any other genealogy in human history. And Stephen Davey put it this way, In fact, if this family tree isn't correct, none of us are going to heaven. Christianity would be proven at the very outset, just another empty religion with a truckload of empty promises. Now notice, Matthew is trying to prove to the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah. If you ever do a study on Justin Martyr, he lived from 100 AD to 165 AD. I think he was born again in 130 AD. As a matter of fact, in 165, they killed him for his faith. And when Justin was arrested for his faith in Rome, the perfect of Rome, or the prefect of Rome, asked him to denounce his faith by making a sacrifice to their gods because the Romans worshipped all sorts of things. This is what he said before he died. He said, No one who is rightly minded, who is rightly minded, turns from the true belief to a false one, even in the face of death. When Justin Martyr would try to evangelize a Jewish person, guess where he would start? Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Because he says, if you don't believe that Jesus was a real person, how can we even have a conversation? How can we have an intelligent conversation? If you deny basic historical facts that have been studied for hundreds of years. How can you and I, if you're watching on social media or here today, talk about Jesus if you don't even really believe that he existed? I mean, that's, that's a belief that's really, uh, I can't comprehend that, okay? If you do any study of history, he's the most studied person in history. This genealogy is the most studied genealogy in history. And what Matthew does is, he says, I'm, I'm going to evangelize a Jewish person by proving to you his stock. Notice verse 1. This is very important. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, His name shall be called Jesus. Verse 21 of chapter 1, notice, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. He will save His people From their sins, the word means Jehovah saves, or the Lord is salvation, or Jehovah is salvation, or Jehovah will save, or Jehovah will certainly save. There again, it's the first name in the New Testament and the last name. The New Testament is not necessarily a how-to book, even though it has how-tos. It's a book about Jesus. Notice, Jesus Christ, that word means the anointed one. Christ is the title, it actually means Messiah, it means the anointed one. He was anointed as a prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was anointed as a prophet to preach the gospel. A priest, he was anointed as a priest to provide atonement for the gospel. And he was anointed as king to rule those who received the gospel. So at the beginning you have Matthew stating this, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah. And then he makes this astonishing statement that every Jewish person would wake up. He is the son of David. And what Matthew's trying to establish here is that Jesus is in the royal line of David. He is the rightful heir to the throne. God made this promise to David that every Jewish person, even to this day, memorizes in Second Samuel seven, twelve through thirteen. God promised David this I will rise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jewish people today are looking for that king, and that king has already come. And that king will come back. In fact, in Jesus' genealogy, there's more than a dozen kings that he comes from. But think about the term son of David. Now, guys, go with me quick here, because we're going to look at several verses. When Jesus was before his birth, notice Matthew 1.20. It says, But while they, he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Joseph was the son of David. Do not be afraid to take you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph had to be of the son of David, and also Mary is of the son of David. Down through the family tree. Now, when, when two blind men were following after Jesus, notice in Matthew 9, 27 what they say. They make this statement. Have mercy on us, son of David. Why is that an astonishing statement? Because you have two blind men, and I don't know their religious backgrounds, But when they hear of Jesus, they say, He is the Son of David. He is the King of the Jews. He is the Messiah. It's amazing. Notice the next verse. All the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the Son of David? After Jesus spoke and did miracles. They're like, Is this really the Messiah? Is this really the Son of David? Now notice the next verse. And behold, a woman of Canaan came, a Gentile from that region, and cried out to him and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David an amazing statement of faith she says you're the Lord and you're the son of David my daughter is severely demon-possessed and Jesus healed her with a word think about that that statement that she made have mercy on me O Lord you're the son of David an astonishing statement next verse notice Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple this is when Jesus cleaned the temple cleansed the temple and he healed them But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Wow, they're saying this man, they're saying he's the Messiah. He's the Messiah, okay? Have mercy on us, Son of David. Now think about this. He is called the Son of David. That proves his royal line. He's also called, notice in verse 1, the Son of Abraham. That produces the racial line. Because God promised Abraham that the Messiah would be born from him. In Genesis 22:18, 18, God said this to Abraham. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Muslims, Jews, and Christians all claim Abraham. <laughs> all right? Because God said this, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's why Matthew starts with the father of the faith, Abraham. But think about this. Notice on the screen. His name started out in Genesis as Abram. He was Abram. He was a lost pagan idolater. He was a moon worshiper. Imagine looking up and worshiping the moon. That's the father, founder of our faith, Abram. And then he was godless. Stephen Lawson said Abram, Abram at the time was just scum of the earth. He was scum of the bottom. Then God stepped into his life. God came to Abraham. Abram, Abram was not looking to God. God singled him out and said, You're mine. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And the Bible says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. By faith alone, Abram was saved and became Abraham. Abraham believed in the person and promises of God. The least likely man on earth to begin this genealogy is Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Abraham was very wealthy. He was... Uh, worship in the moon, and then God came to him and said, Go. And Abram went. And he placed his faith in the Lord then, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Abram had a very bad past, even after he surrendered his life to the Lord. He'd done a lot of wicked things. You, you can study it for yourself. But he starts out this genealogy is a moon worshiper. Think about that. This was God's sovereign plan. He had eight sons, but only one of his his sons was chosen to be in the messianic line and that is notice abraham begot isaac of the eight sons only one was chosen to be in this line that is the sovereign plan of god listen how one scholar put it jesus descended from a line of over a dozen kings half of whom were men over a dozen kings half of men who were followed who followed after god rather imperfectly, like we do and the other half were absolutely committed to giving their lives to evil. Men like Rehoboam in verse 7, and then the Manassas in verse 10. Notice what the Bible says about this man, Manassas. He's in verse 10. Notice, now look at what it says. He did more evil than the pagan nations around him. He sacrificed his sons in the fiery belly of the idol Molech. Jesus says, Great, 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 something, Grandpa. Isn't that amazing? It's it's also said about him in 2 Kings, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from the heat of his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. Now think of it. He did more evil than the pagan nations around him. So one scholar put it this way, Judah became worse under this wicked man than all those whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Hittites. He seduced Judah and destroyed all of King Hezekiah's good works. He practiced witchcraft, used divination. He had mediums and channelers in his council. He placed an idol in the temple precinct. Manassas Manassas murdered so many people, one historian wrote, that he filled Jerusalem from one end to the other with innocent blood. That's amazing, isn't it? Now notice in 2 Kings 8.18, it'll be on the screen. Notice Jehoram, which is in the family tree. And he walked in the way of the kings of, kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, which is awful. Ahab's one of the worst kings to ever live. But this is the worst thing he did, for the, for, he, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Be careful who you marry, right? The daughter of Ahab was the king's wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, I underlined that for a reason, because she eventually became queen. She's, she's the only woman, as far as I know, to sit on the throne in Israel and serve in that place of a king. And she's one of the most wicked women to ever live. Now, who was Ahab married to? Jezebel. Jezebel's daughter is this lady. Notice on the screen. Her name is Athaliah. Never name your kids, your dogs, or your cat Athaliah. Okay? Never let your children date someone named Athaliah. She was a wicked woman. Matter of fact, one person put it this way, behind the scenes, she, she tried to cut off, notice, it says, when Athaliah, the mother of Uzziah, because after her husband died, he became king, saw that her son was dead, he was such a wicked king as well, after he followed his dad, that people killed him. She proceeded after that to destroy the whole royal family of the house of Judah. She killed her grandsons. Because she didn't want an heir to the throne, which effectively would have cut off the family tree of Jesus. Now notice, in 2 Chronicles 22.10, it looks hopeless. This woman, because her husband died, her son is assassinated, she kills all her grandkids. Isn't that amazing? One scholar put it this way. He says, Athaliah, whose name means afflicted by God, was queen of Judah after this incident. From 841 to 835 B.C., the only female monarch to sit on David's throne in biblical history. Athaliah was a daughter of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel of Israel. She married Jehoram, who was killed, the eldest son of Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, who's in our um, lineage. He was a wicked king. Athaliah's son, Uzziah, at the age of 22, ascended to the throne and proved himself just as evil as his father. Athaliah counseled her son in his devilish schemes, Isaiah served as king of Judah for less than one year, for he was assassinated along with Israel's alien king, Joram. And one man put it this way, Satan has always tried to chop off the family tree of Jesus. He even uses Jesus' own lineage to do it. So here's Athaliah, okay? She receives word that her son is dead, and she sees the opportunity to overthrow the throne by murdering all of her grandsons all the sons, thus eradicating the entire royal family so that she could take the throne. Isn't that amazing? So what happens? What happens? Unbeknownst to this wicked, wicked woman, Isaiah's sister has one of the grandbabies and notice what happens? His name is Joash. She took him and he remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. Who's sovereign over the kingdoms of the world? God is. She thought she had killed all the grandsons, but a member of the family takes a little boy, hides him in the house of the Lord for six years. Imagine keeping this secret for six years. The king at the t- the priest at the time was Jehoiada. He's such a great godly priest that when he died, they allowed him to be buried with the kings, one of the few priests ever to do that. Okay, and he rises up with this little young boy. All right, and he tells her there's coming a time when we're going to announce that he's the rightful king. But you have this wicked queen whose, whose castle is here. Here's the temple area. So Jehoiada says, this is what we're going to do. On this day, we're going to get all the bodyguards of the temple to come out. We're going to bring this little boy out who's seven years old at the time. His name is Joash, and we're going to announce him king. Now notice uh, what it, the Bible says here. Go back. To that verse, he remained hidden with his nurse at the temple of the Lord for six years while Athaliah ruled the land. Now notice this next verse. It says, all the people of the land rejoiced and the city was calm because Athaliah had been slain with the sword at the palace. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. Whenever Jehoiada had this ceremony for Joash, which the queen did not know was alive, she heard the commotion. He says, when she comes, you take her and this is what I want you to do. Now this is, this is the high priest you want to have your back. Why don't you just kill her with a sword? And that's what they did. They killed this wicked woman with the sword, and then Joash became king. Now think about this. Think about Joash. Okay, what an amazing story. little boy hid out for seven years. He's the only reason the family tree of Jesus can go on. Because a woman takes him and hides him in the temple area for six years. On the seventh year, he becomes king. He rules with Jehoiada. The high priest, Israel flourishes, and then guess what happens? The high priest dies. And then Joash's heart gets turned. God tries to get him to repent. Joash kills the high priest uh, of the temple at that time, so much so that Jesus even makes mention of it to one of the Pharisees. He makes mention of this incident. When Joash dies, Okay, they won't even let him be buried with the kings. And look at where he's at in this genealogy. He's nowhere to be found. Where is he? He's nowhere. One person put it this way about Jesus's family tree. said this, Jesus's family, murderers, adulterers, bigamous, polygamous, idol-worshiping, child-sacrificing, immoral, proud men and women make up the family tree of Jesus. Not all of them, but a large portion of them. Even the person who was the last one left and was miraculously saved Turn his back on the Lord. One author writes, Jesus comes from the right stock, but it's, not, but it's a really bad stock point. There is no pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have a crazy uncle? He ain't so bad now, is he? All right? I apologize to him for talking about him. But think about this. When you think about this genealogy, and, and that leads us into the birth of Christ next week, Okay, think about these three things. Don't you know notice them on the screen as we close. That God is sovereign, is he not? God is sovereign. The first article of our faith is this, that there is a God and that he is sovereign. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus, that God was so active in the tiniest details, uh, moving, moving the hearts of immoral people, Okay, you think about the mess his family tree is, and God brought Jesus out of it. Think about the mess that you're in. If you trust Him, God can bring good out of it, can He not? God is sovereign. A.W. Pink made this statement about the sovereignty of God. He says, To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Most High, doing according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that no one can stay His hand or say this unto Him. What do you do? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the Almighty the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat his counsels, thwart his purpose, or resist his will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that he is the governor among nations, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, determining the course of dynasties as pleases him best. Such is the God of the Bible." Sovereignty characterizes the whole being of God. He is sovereign in all his attributes. He is sovereign in the exercise of his power. His power is exercised as he wills, when he wills, where he wills, with whom he wills. The fa- this fact is evidenced on every page of Scripture. If God is not sovereign, he is not God. 2020 might be a bad year for you, but it's not for God. It's not a bad year for him. He's still on the throne, he's still sovereign. You may or may not like the election, God's still sovereign. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow in 2021. Probably something crazy. Okay, But guess what? God is still sovereign. Do you trust him? If God is sovereign, can you not trust him? Look at the genealogy of Jesus. What a mess. And God worked through all that to birth the Savior that we'll talk about next week. It's an amazing thing. How God controls destinies, dynasties, and the tiniest details to make his plan come, come true. God works all things together for good to those who, who love Him. God is sovereign. And here's the second thing this thing this genealogy teaches that Jesus is Lord, there's no other Lord. Jesus is the only way. There is no other Savior. There's, there's no one else coming to save you. No one can. Jesus is the only Lord, God of heaven. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christianity alone is right. Christianity alone is right. Let me say that again. Think about this Christianity alone is right. You can coexist with people and religions, but they're wrong. Christianity alone is right. Jesus is the only Savior. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and every knee and every tongue will confess it. Every knee will bow. Christianity alone is right. All other religions and all other cults are wrong. We have a Savior. They have no Savior. Our Savior is Christ the Lord, which I say that to say this. It is possible... To be sincere in your religion, yet be sincerely wrong. It is possible to be very sincere and devout in your religion, yet be sincerely wrong. I doubt there's anybody more sincere than Nicodemus was. And Jesus said, you got to be born again. Place your faith and trust in me. It is possible to be religious, moral, and upright, and yet be on your way to hell. Your only hope today is Jesus. Jesus. That's why the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Lord, Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham, will be saved. And then the final thing is this you can be saved. Christmas is about salvation. This genealogy, this book of names, is not about them, it's about Jesus. God had a plan from the garden, and this was it. That Jesus would come through this, this strange family tree to be birthed, to live a perfect life, to bear, God, to bear our sin penalty, our sins, and God's wrath on the cross and raised from the dead. And if you'll place your faith and trust in the resurrected Jesus who actually lived, actually died, actually rose from the dead, then you can be saved. You can be saved. Look at the word saved. What are you saved from? Great wrath. The wrath of God is what you're saved from. You're, you're not saved from just a bad life. You're saved from eternal damnation. Do you understand that? The angel told Joseph his name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You are, if, you, if you have sinned, in your lifetime and you've not repented and placed your faith in Jesus you are guilty before God and you'll be justly condemned and punished in the highest court of the land. You can be saved today. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead you will be saved is what the Bible says. Is your faith in the resurrected Jesus Christ, or is it in yourself? One day you'll stand before God and give an account of your life, and you'll stand in Christ's righteousness or your own. Christ's righteousness or your own. God is sovereign. Praise the Lord. Jesus is Lord. We worship Him as such. But aren't you thankful you can be saved today? It's amazing, this family tree of all these wicked people, God offered repentance to. And many turned him down. What about you today? Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? Y'all have heard me say this a hundred times. October 30th, 1990, 7.25 p.m., a mile, exact mile from this church, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a day that changed my life and my eternity forever. Not because there's anything good in me, because there's everything good in the Savior I serve. And my faith has not dwindled one bit. Have I doubted my salvation? Of course from time to time because I know who I am. I've never doubted Jesus was Lord. Ever. Ever doubted Jesus was Lord. I would encourage you today to place your faith and trust in him. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. I would encourage you to do it now. Confess that Jesus is Lord. By faith. Place your faith in Christ in the resurrected Christ. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and you deserve damnation and that Jesus Christ is your only hope. And be gloriously saved today based on God's word. Friends, religion or rituals will not save you, but Jesus Christ alone can. And then Christian, with every head bowed and every eye closed, understand this, I don't know what's going on in your 2020, but God does, and He's sovereign. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. And tell Him, Jesus, I don't understand it all, but Jesus, I trust You. You are sovereign. And then we'll close this prayer in the name of our Lord Jesus. Father, as we come to You in prayer, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You're sovereign over all things. And Father, when when sometimes when our lives and the world looks out of control, Lord, you're in control. You're seated on a throne that the Bible says is set, and you are God. And Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. He is the Lord of our salvation. Virgin born, sinless life, bore God's wrath on the cross, rose from the dead, all historical facts. And Father, we place our faith and trust in you. Lord, that is our confession that you are Lord. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone listening online, in the parking lot, or in this congregation this morning, that that would be the confession that they make leaving this place, is that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives, and that you'll gloriously save them for right now and for all eternity. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people say together, Amen and Amen. God bless you. I hope you have a great Sunday. And hope to see you back here next Sunday. Thank you. You're dismissed.